that's it. We're going to shine bright like a diamond. I'm not, I'm not going to sing it, but that's our intro. You don't want to sing for us, Don? No. Our listeners have come out looking for you to sing to them. I don't think that's true. I think that's the biggest reason why we have followers on this I show. I don't think so. If if I if, if I'm wrong, I apologize, and next time I'll sing something. But if you all want Don to sing, please tell us on social media. Don't tell us. <laughs> for your own safety, don't tell us. I'll bust out some fifteen hundred sea shanties. <laughs> Don's singing voice is too beautiful for us to hear. That's that's the truth of it. I've been called the songbird of my generation. That's what I call him quite frequently. Uh, <laughs> Yes. So uh, with that that lovely tie-in, Don, thank you. We have a Diamond and Pearl-centric episode. We're going to get into it in a little bit, but Diamond and Pearl as games, I'm not going to say they're under... Oh, they're underappreciated, I think, Don. I would I feel like they were in a weird spot in American society when like it wasn't, it, like, wasn't as cool to like Pokemon, maybe. Yeah. Those games brought a lot of cool new features into the game and sort of and 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 the world building of pokemon you know yes i i, I think they added a lot and we're gonna talk about that in a little bit um we had our first like like gender differences sexual dimorphism whatever you want to call it in the pokemon games we had our first regional variants i feel like it was like the first games on the ds's which launched a very long long-term relationship with pokemon and the ds family of systems first ones with wi-fi support too there you That's go. huge. Yeah. Diamond and Pearl brought a lot to the table, and this is an episode to show appreciation for those games. Uh, so let's just mo- keep moving and let's jump into the news. Let's hit it. All right, Don, you have something about some outer space glass. Um, scattered across the Atacama Desert in Chile, which is, I think, like the driest place in the world, um, has been like glass in the desert, um, like scattered pieces of really like weird melted glass chunks. And they found now um, that the glass appears to have been from outer space. A comet or its remnants exploded over the desert roughly 12,000 years ago, and that scattered shards of melted space glass all over the desert, which I think is really cool because the glass corridor, it's kilometers away from the closest volcano. Cause like you have like volcanic glass can occur, but the fact that this is so far from any of the nearest volcanic areas shows that the, either the, the comet itself had like silicon on it or like its impact in the desert's heat caused the silica to uh, form glass there. So either way, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, so we can see um, we th- there's also, it seems like airbursts may have occurred, which led to fires, which caused the glass to form that way as well. So we have a few like potential causes, but I think it seems to boil back to space shenanigans either way. Oh, well, space shenanigans is always dangerous. Yes, that's why we have Clefairy in its bed. It's witchcraft ability that is friend guard. Like, how does that work? How does a guard its friend that's a foot tall? Big magic. Dude, that's the questions the elites won't tell us. Space shenanigans, that's how. Exactly. So do we have some Pokemon news at all? Uh, we have a little bit. Like, news is going to be pretty light this week because the big news is obviously Diamond and Pearl coming out. Oh, wait, real quick. I have Pokemon news because I have maybe the worst. So for someone that was playing Pokemon Go, I got the, the APK a day before it was officially out in North America. So I had a one-day head start to show how long I've been playing. I have caught 200% Pokemon in that time period. What are they? 
So I years ago got a dust clops. Okay. And just the other day, I checked my stuff, and one of these spritzy I caught was a hundred percent. Spritzy. Is spritzy good for anything? Um, any Pokemon that learns Charm is okay and, and it can do good in battling. Spritzy. How about that? Or Aromatisse is cool because so it has Charm. I think it gets Dazzling Gleam as the other move, and then it learns Thunder. So it's it it can if you, people don't know about it, it can really mess with some teams. My I, I will say on my in-game Pokemon luck, I've had some good. So uh, I've had two. One, I got a modest shiny Zapdos in Let's Go Eevee. Okay. On like I wasn't even trying. I was actually catching, trying to trying to chain shiny Magnemites, and then I accidentally pumped into Zapdos. So that was exciting. My great my greatest achievement ever was in Pokemon Heart Gold Soul Silk. No, uh, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. I was soft resetting for a modest Heatran. We were texting. I was like, you know, oh for like fifty, even though I was doing all the synchronizes and all that for like dating the IVs I wanted. And we were telling my friend, I was like, at this point, I'll get a shiny soon. And I got a timid shiny Heatran with Hidden Power Ice. And that, to this day, is the luckiest Pokemon activity I've ever had. I still haven't caught a shiny in any main Pokemon game. Maybe one day. Um, I guess the, the, the other news in Pokemon Go is there is a Diamond and Pearl event going on. And you can get all the starters with the little hats that the main characters wear. The red hat and the white hat. Ooh, hats. I'm going to check my, my phone right now. Uh, so you can get, like, Turtwig, Chimchar, and, and Piplup wearing hats. Turtwig gang, let's go. It's also half distance on eggs for the event, so hatch as many eggs as you can. Gotta hatch them all. On that note, uh, let's bring Madison in, Don, and let's jump into the topic for the day. Let's get right to it. All right, we're jumping, we're jumping into the topic, so... Diamond and Pearl, as a generation, brought in some new uh, variations uh, into the game, into how we get new Pokemon, and that's kind of what we're going to touch on today, especially how it relates to us in the real world. And I know, uh, Don, Maddie, you both uh, know a little bit about this, so what what can you tell us sort of about the idea of things like um, environmental uh, evolution and adaptation? I know maybe we don't necessarily think about that when it comes to this game, but I kind of forgot about it, to be honest, until you brought it I know, it up. and I'm happy I reminded you that this was the first game where we had Pokemon who were different based upon where they were from. We had Shellos, and Shellos was different based upon what part of the the continent... Also, no one DM country. us about Umbreon and Espeon, but Espeon, that's day and night. They're different. We're not doing it. So, Shellos was the original regional Pokemon. Um, well, Shellos and, and we have Burmy in the game too. That that depending on where you encountered Burmy, it would be different. West Shellos gang, let's go. Really? I always like the east one. Wait, which one's the west one? Isn't that the blue? I think one? I think uh, west is pink. Oh no! Yeah. yeah, the pink one. Yeah, that's cute. I like it. What were the three zones for Burmy? Trash, like forest and dirt, or something. <laughs> Is it sand, sand, trash, and basically, so seeing them in like the city, seeing them in the forest, and seeing them in the uh... sand e areas. Yeah, so there was, uh, yeah, because there was Burmy, and then there's Wormadam, and then there's Mothim is the evolution line. And it's actually it kind of ties into the other thing we'll be talking about tonight, which is the, like the sexual dimorphism, the gender differences that they added. Uh, but all Mothims are male. So if you get a Wormadam, you're stuck with a Wormadam. 
I actually forgot Wormadam existed until we talked about this. I just remembered Burmy and Motham. Well, yeah, and I think it's an important point to make that first talking about these environmental differences that we know that the environments that humans create actually impact evolution. And I know it, it's it may seem like a novel or a trivial thing to some of us, but our direct efforts to industrialize, to uh, modernize, to reshape the landscape actively drives evolution of modern species. So not only do we, I know we talk a lot about humans driving animal extinction and the mass extinctions that are to come, but we also do drive the evolution of creatures as they are adapting to the environments we create. And I know, Don, we were talking about moths before. Yeah, so we have the um, I like a lot of I feel like a lot of people have heard of this. Um, there's the peppered moth in the UK. Um, during the late 1800s, when like indu- the industrial revolution started to happen, um, so the pepper pepper moth has several variants. One is like a it's like black and white, like a, a white moth that has pepper on it. And the other variant is black. And um, as the industrial revolution occurred in the 1800s, um, soot from like you know early factories and coal burning plants weren't really big on the whole you know low emissions at the time would cause birch trees which have traditionally peppered white and black bark which the original peppered moth would blend in well were stained black from the soot which allowed the now white moth to be just you know savaged by birds so um the moths rapidly uh, we saw rapid selection where the moths that were black got um at least in areas around the cities deep in the countryside the black and white moths have stayed which is part of that discussion there of regional differences that we saw one species shift in its evolutionary trend depending on where they were, which is kind of the point the game is making too. Yeah, actually, in the it's apparently from the 60s onwards with the Clean Air Act and other such laws, um, the speckled variant has made a resurgence. Oh, like it's coming back? It's all yep. to the Lorax. Because they never went all the way away, but just around like industrial areas. Well, and I know there's other animals too, Don, that we know adapt to their specific environment. I mean, that's the entire idea of Darwinism is that animals adapt to where they live. There's a whole group of animals that people call human commensals, um, which is almost, you know, commensalism is about symbiotic relationship where um, one of them benefits and one of them isn't hampered by it. And that's things like crows, raccoons, things like that, where they benefit and their behaviors have changed due to humans to benefit from them, but not necessarily their appearance. Like if their behavior, isn't that like a behavioral adaptation versus like a structural adaptation? Correct. But I just kind of wanted to touch on that as well. We're talking about, you know, creatures impacted by human development. Yeah. And, but I, I do think it's important to note too, that there are physical changes that are impact by our, I mean, it's our, our existence and industrialization really, And I think the game did a great point at pointing out how environmental differences, I mean, this is the first game where you have area-based evolution. Yes. Which, which really ties into some of these evolutionary ideas that where you live determines what adaptations you're going to, to um, develop. I mean, I, I think about early bears, right. And, and how brown bears and, and polar bears, from my understanding, we're once part of the same species and that shift in environment as other bears moved up north, you know, helped push for that trend of white fur. 
And I, I think that kind of fits in here too, that you see some of these minds like shifting to match their environment. You know, Evie becomes an ice type because it's near ice and it, it would survive better. And Evie becomes a grass type because it's adorable. <laughs> the closer it gets to this one special rock, the, the, the more they I, Okay, wait, can I just tell We're you? We're not going to talk about the magnet mons because it's weird. And I don't want to talk about I magnets today. I love Leafeon so much. Like, it is one of, like, I love it. You could have, theoretically use it competitively right now. Say, I have tried so hard for years to make it competitive. <laughs> like, even Swords Dance Leafeon is only, uh, it exists. <laughs> Does Leafeon have any rock moves? You could maybe, it's faster than Venusaur. You could maybe run it with Groudon right now. Um, I don't think it has any rock moves, but it does have a pretty decent move pool. And because it gets Swords Dance, it's like... Pfft. Its attack stat isn't bad. I mean, it has Incineroar exists. Right? It has chlorophyll. Yes, it has too. chlorophyll. Yeah. I used to run it on Sun Teams. I it enjoyed get, it. It gets zero rock moves, but it gets three ground moves. It gets Solar Blade, which I really like that animation. Solar Blade's a great move. It gets X Scissor. Like, it's a fun mon. I love it. And it's so cute. That little, like, leaf below the neck is adorable. So, back to Burmy. I want to go back to Burmy. <laughs> um. So I know Burmy like picks the the trash to, um, de or debris depending on where it lives, and we see that in the animal kingdom, right, Don? Yes. Like, like bower birds do that, right? Yeah. Well, most specifically, so there's actually two groups. I'm gonna just go into this for like I won't go too deep, but I really want to talk about this real quick. Um, so Burmy is a bagworm, um, and bagworms or bagworm moths or Bag moths, whatever you want to call them, are a type of moth family where the larvae uh, they will go around and they'll use like the sort of naturally produced silk fibers to attach like debris from their environment to their bodies to camouflage. And like you'll see them hanging on. They're actually a really big issue with Christmas tree farms. Um, I guess bagworms love various Christmas tree species. Um, but you'll see it like looks like a little thing dangling that's like covered in like sticks and dirt. That's a bagworm. Um, so like, and there's another group as well. I don't think they're related. It's called the caddisfly, which is basically a wet bagworm. They live underwater. And some people actually use caddisfly larvae to make jewelry because their adhesives are very strong. And they'll take a caddisfly and put it in like an aquarium with like gold and turquoise little pieces. And they'll make a cool tube and then they'll leave it when they uh, turn into adults. But um, Burmese is interesting is it stays very true to the bagworm where um, female bagworms have effectively no wings i mean they're a moth but the female bagworm doesn't really have wings it can fly with they're very vestigial um they're basically just still a worm so that's why all mothems are male um because they can actually like be a moth and i know we see that in other animals too right like other insects um is it lightning bugs that do that too yes the um like you, you'll hear people talk about a glow worm and a glow worm is really a female firefly yeah because they don't have wings right Correct. At least most species. There might be one or two. I know there's also one species where the female um, can imitate, because like every firefly slash lightning bug, depending on whatever region you're from, um, has a various like flash pattern. There's one species. There's one species where the female can imitate the flash patterns of other species, and she has like overdeveloped jaws, so she'll like copy different species and lure them in, and then just like eat them. So. But but I want to get back to, so like we, real quick though, we do know that animals, because of like nesting traits, we do know that animals adapt their behavioral practices, like what they build nests out of, 
or I mean, I, I, I just I love the bowerbirds. Sorry, bowerbirds are fun. They're so cute, and I, I, I think it's worth mentioning that animals adapt their behavior and their resource usage based upon what environments they're in, and that we have an interaction with that, just like Burmy has a trash form. That's right. I think about, so when you and I do that one panel, we talk about Pokemon in the real world. I, I think about um, what is the lyre bird when it copies like the sound of like human objects, like a chainsaw and like a camera, you know, that happens, you know, environmental change or behavioral changes because of our interactions, just like we see with Burmy here, like Burmy, probably if we see Burmy and Arceus, I bet you there's no trash form. They've actually found too. Um, several species of birds will select cigarette butts to use to help make their nests because the nicotine repels mites. They just want to smoke. Well, yeah. Also that. I mean, and then also look really cool. Yeah, they're the coolest <laughs> birds. Kids I'm, I'm, don't smoke; it's bad. It doesn't even taste good, guys. Like, there's better things out there. <laughs> All right. So that leads me to my next question, though. Or our topic is, especially with Burmy, is that these games are the first game to introduce gender differences. Like, besides Nidoking and Nidoqueen, which are separate mons and are coded as separate mons, this is the first game that introduces gender differences. And I'm going to I'm gonna butcher the word, Don, so you're going to say it. Yep. Oh, okay, I thought you were going to say it. Okay, no, no, I'm not going to so, say it. Yeah, so um, the word is, and like, it refers to... Um, we see this a lot in nature is sexual dimorphism and it, it takes form in a lot of things typically it involves like you know when you think of like you know like a deer like a, ma- a buck will have antlers um with birds um the male tends to be more colorful females might be larger but they're typically like more more drab or more more natural colored um fish will see like more uh, extravagant fins or displaying like a ho- excuse me like a hogfish or a beta fish will have that and um in most cases it's used for the uh the male of the species to display like their um their genetic fitness to be selected for a mate like obviously having big antlers makes you better at fighting but also like the reason you have big antlers is because you had good nutrition which means you're very healthy um same with like fish and birds like if you have very extravagant plumage that's very colorful it means your diet's good which means you're healthy it also means that you're good at uh like evading predators like if hey, you're don. a small bird sorry hey don do yes. you know what the deer say about the bucks with the big antlers that they're awesome actually because that's like the peak of a deer you know what they say about big antlers what they make big scratches <laughs> they do it's actually called rubs fun fact there's like with like birds you'll see the male bird is much more brightly colored in a lot of species especially when you get in like tropical birds and stuff but like like a pheasant which well, birds ties, of paradise, I'm, right? Like birds of par- uh, birds yeah. of paradise, prime, prime example. And then, like you look at locals of like a cardinal, but it also shows tells the female that the male is like physically fit as well as has good nutrition. Because if you're a bird, and especially uh, the smaller ones, if you're weighed down by a lot of brightly colored feathers, you're much more visible to predators. So it's telling the female that you're not only um, you know have had good nutrition and that you're healthy, but you're also like physically fit. Because you're avoiding predation, which like tells them that you would be a good mate. And the female is typically more drably colored because she'll be sitting on the nest, or like and with we the did young. see that with um, was it Unfezend? 
on pheasant and yes yes if you look at like a, a ring a male ring-necked pheasant and a female pheasant it's a remarkable difference in coloration well yeah i mean that's like the, the, the peahen is not very pretty yes we don't have a peacock pokemon do we no i'm no. kind of disappointed and you said you said cardinals don but like aren't female cardinals like just like kind of brown gray yeah exactly yeah. like the I was trying to think of more like sort of Hi, local I'm North American I'm in Ohio. Like, like we have cardinals. It's our state bird. It's like, it's like every state's bird. It's Virginia's state bird. Do you know what I'm mad about? Florida is mocking. Okay, our state bird is the mockingbird. Like four other states have the mockingbird. Florida has like literally the most birds. We have so many cool birds. Yeah, like you guys have more birds than any other state. I, I, I'm hard pushing for the rosette spoonbill. Oh, they're pretty. Yeah. But anyways, back to you know the 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 gender different sexual differences. I mean, like, and some of them are weird, right? Like, some of them do make sense, like in the game at least. <clears throat> like the idea that male Alakazam has a bigger mustache. Like we talked about that, right? It's a showing off sign. Like, hey, look how great I am. Yeah. Or, do you think they use their psychic powers to keep their mustache like perky, or do they like wax? I it? have no idea. But like the female scyther has a larger abdomen, which you know that fits with Mamelia, you know, larger hips. It also fits with um insects, actually. Well, yeah, I would assume so too. I mean, same idea, right? Yes. Um, but like some of these things are bizarre and don't make any sense to me. I mean, heart shaped tail on a Pikachu is more just like cuteness. Okay. But what about Torchic? Do you want to tell them what do you want to tell them what Torchic has? The black dot on the butt cheek. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like literally has a black like thing on its butt. Or like you said like Sudowoodo has like the female has like thinner arms. It's something like that, yeah. Well, we complained about this on um earlier uh, was before we were recording. I was complaining about it how you look at so they added the uh the differences in Gen 4. Yeah. Right. And, and they, they retroactively, yep. And, and they re- did a great job. And they retroactively changed a lot. Also, with the later Torchic forms, like like the male Blaziken's head crest is much longer than the females, which makes yeah. sense. It's yeah. right with Lediba too. Let, like Lediba has that. Yeah, and there are, there are some, but if you look at the amount of retroactive changes they made, it was a lot. Yes, but then you look moving forward, and in Gen Five, there's like two Pokemon. Yeah, where they had Unpheasant and Jillicent Frillish. Yes, and they're like, all right, we're not doing. But I, I do like how then after going forward, they instead of trying to just do it for all of them, which I think they is nice, and I appreciate, they decided to go very drastic with them. Same with um, well, like Pyroar, Pyroars, yes, Pyromiastic. Those are very drastic, or Indeedy. Yes, I can't believe Gen Six they did none until you brought that up. No, I had Gen no idea. Gen Seven, they Gen Seven, Gen Seven they did none. Yeah. Well, and I, I think Gen Seven was the first one to really talk about though environmental evolution though with with regional differences. Um, with the Alolan at, at, forms, at a grander, yeah, at a grander scale than Shellos and Burmy. But I did want to point out that Gen Four is the one that introduced that idea. Um, yeah, honestly though, I would love to see some more of this like uh sexual differences in like drastic things like give me a spider mon where the female is you know three times as big as the male like that's yeah. what i want to see that's cool uh, but i also think that if they do that like it should ha- it should make a difference too like oh, yeah for like, sure. it like, ha- like in pokemon go they just instituted for pumpkaboo like it has five different sizes, and each size has a different stat spread. Well, the meow sticks have different um 
Actually, their stats might not be. Their move pools are different. Same with the Indeedies. Yeah, Indeedy has totally different setups. So, like, if, if we have a spider one and the spider and the female spider is bigger, like, I want that one to have more bulk than. Yeah, maybe be slower, but with higher bulk or higher offenses. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really cool, especially since, you know, we're going to Brazil. Did I tell you guys I found a prey mantis? The, I found two prey mantises mating the other day, and one of them had his head chomped off. Oh, mm. I had heard about it. I'd never seen it. I'm going to send I it to you guys because it, it was wild. I hope it was worth you it. Took for a him. photo? Yeah, it was sick. Why, why would I not take a photo? It was awesome. Privacy, man. Respect privacy. She chewed his head off. I doubt she cares about her privacy. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyways, as we've talked about, you know, diff- gender differences in this game. And there are differences with horns and stuff, too. Like, um, we see that with mamoswine or... Um, All the rhyhorns. Yeah. Like, sea king. Anything that has a horn, they gave it that difference. Don fan... Um, does Stantler have a difference? You think it should? I I don't think it does. I'm looking at the... Uh, Stantler does not, but it should. You know, a weird one is that Steelix, the females don't have an outer tooth. Some of them are really... Like, actually, so female Bulbasaur has a seed on their flower, which is really subtle, but I actually didn't know that until I Google it, but I really like that. No, that makes sense to me, though. That That's really cool and makes sense. Yes, um, but some of them, it's like... um, Pretty much all of the birds, the males are more colorful, which I like agree with. Um, but some of them are like like weird, like um, uh, lipstick Wobbuffet is actually hilarious. <laughs> um, Sneasel having the bigger ear feather as the males that makes sense. Um, and then you get to the mammals, and you have a lot of them. The uh, the females outside of Pyro will have like um longer fur if that's the difference. Like yes. a female Ursaring has longer fur. The one I don't get at all is Octillery. The female has smaller suction cups, and it just makes like oct- that. Yeah, that that one doesn't make any sense. Or like, um, what's the uh, like Garchomp? Doesn't the male Garchomp have like uh, a, it's a groove a, in a the fin? fin? It's, a gro- it's a groove in the fin. Yeah. Yeah, because like what? Because of fighting or battling each other? I didn't know if it was maybe like a. Oh yeah, it's, never mind. It's not where I thought it was. I have no idea the reason um, for it. And then the the female Tangrowth has more red on their fingers. Yeah. Yep. The Hippodons are just different colors. Um, to, we have to give a shout out to all the Pokemon Go fans who were not familiar with uh, Hippopotas and thought they found a shiny one when they did not. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that was, oh, that was a thing when they were... Oh, we have... Um, Combee's a huge one. Also, like, I didn't realize the males the males looked different, too, actually. I know the males have... The females have a red mark on their face and the males don't, in addition to the whole, like... Yeah. One of them is better. Well, and I do want to talk about um, uh, Combi because that, that introduced another feature that this game brought, which was gender evolution, um, which... Yeah, Combi and Motham. Yeah, do you want to talk about that? I talk about bagworms. Well, and so, like, with, with bees, we know that, um, you know, it's the females that are larger for the queens, right? Yes, and um, so with bees, like, drones are... The queen can like, basically choose to select how many drones are um, like hatched or whatever. Um, and the drone, the drones, the male bees are also like much more. They're like very expendable, which I assume you kind of see with comb bees. Like I would imagine when Vespa Queen uses like attack order and the swarm of comb bees comes by, they're probably males um, <laughs> because they're just sort of like they're like in the winter time. If there's excess drones, they'll just leave them outside the hive to die because they're not really contributing. I mean, and that reminds me, we've talked about the, like, like creatures like the whiptail that, you know, influence um, Salazzle, where, 
you know, there is no male of the species. But I, I, I think, you know, seeing Vespa Queen and then um, Lapani, right? Lapani's female. No, not Lapani. Uh, Frostlass. No. Frostlass. Mm. Frostlass. But like Frostlass is a different reason, though. That has to do with a specific story. But yeah, I, I think those are those are important things to talk about, too, that we see different species placing, you know, um, importance on on. I mean, obviously, you know, the the Gallade, Gallade thing is for the night thing, but like, I thought it was because he was a Yu-Gi-Oh character. Yeah, he's Kaiba. Um, but but for a lot of these, a lot of the the gender evolutions, they're female only. Frostlass, um, Vespa Queen, Salazzle. So I think those that's a really important thing to talk about that you know, in the animal kingdom, in a lot of species, you know, the male is much more expendable. Yes. The except, like, and you have a few where, like, um, so the majority, like, you see with, uh, like, Pyroar, the majority of, uh, are female, correct? Person, which kind of makes it why, I mean, when you look at the uh, dynamics of, like, a lion pride, there's typically a singular male whose main job is defense of the pride or scrapping with, like, the really large prey. Which, there's no stat difference in the Pyroverse, is there? No. That kind of bothers me. So, but yeah, I just wanted to get a chance to talk about that. There, that there really is this new idea brought into these games that really is based on, you know, some of the evolution and biology we see in our world. Um, because I think we often forget what contributions Diamond and Pearl had besides, you know, just the amazing starters. I actually had forgotten about that. Yeah, and I think those are really big points. I mean, Diamond and Pearl, obviously, like, I'm super excited about decorating my Pokeballs again. I forgot about that, too. I definitely did not do that. Dang, my, like, my, my, I'm thinking about, yeah, my, my odds of downloading at opening time now are going up more and more. <laughs> All right. Well, that's since we're shifting a little bit into the, the that, let's, uh, let's move on to some of the other Pokemon that we want to talk about and, and highlight with, with the Diamond and Pearl remakes coming out. Okay, so jumping into the Pokemon, Madison, as you said, the starters in this game are one of the best trios. Yeah, oh, I mean, like, because two of them have been viable, like, competitively. Because after, you know, Gen 5, nothing besides Superior was any good. In more top-cut worlds. What did? Embor top cut worlds. Embor did how? Yes, it did. Because <laughs> someone was dared to. But yeah, so we're just gonna. Uh, I I know we've talked about some of the some of the stars before because they're so cool. But in honor of the new games, I think that we should come back and, and touch on uh, some of these awesome starter mons that we got. So Madison, why don't you kick us off with uh, one of your favorites from the trio? Oh, I thought you were gonna go first. Sorry. Oh, I can go first. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so to start us off. Growing up, I always picked grass types, and knowing what I know now and being a smart and informed person of the world, I am definitely going with Piplup to get an Empoleon in my new playthrough of this game, because Empoleon is awesome. And Lucas has talked about in the starter showdowns about, you know, why you wouldn't necessarily want Empoleon as your partner in real life. Uh, Empoleon has two major influences. We're only going to touch on one because we're going to save the other one for a different episode. Uh, we have the Emperor Penguin. 
the largest penguin of all the species. For for reference, I think Empoleon is actually bigger than an emperor penguin. I believe like, he is. By yeah, like twice far. the size. <laughs> far. Yeah. Um, Empoleon's like is like five feet ish and like almost two hundred pounds. Empoleon's huge. Five seven one eighty six. Yeah. Oh god. No, Empoleon is big. Whereas emperor penguins get like to be around like. I wouldn't go that far. Five seven one eighty six is not a linebacker. Have you met me though? Like that's pretty big compared to me. It's like a high school linebacker. Empoleon, for reference, or emperor penguins are generally four feet and about a hundred pounds. So Empoleon's about twice the size of one. From what I understand, though, they're very strong. They're much stronger than you would think they are. Oh yeah, no, they, they. I think I saw a story where it took like four people to like wrestle one emperor penguin. They uh, one one aspect of them that's really interesting is their social aspects as sort of uh, communal animals and how they work together because they do live and breed in one of the harshest environments for birds. One of the the aspects that emperor penguins will do uh, is that they all sort of huddle together uh, into a big mass of penguins and they actually concentrate all the young in the middle to be the furthest away from the cold winds, and then they'll actually cycle their little their little circles so that all the penguins sort of take a turn bearing the brunt of the wind force so like you get hit with it really hard but then eventually you'll cycle to the back and you won't be getting hit the wind sort of everyone takes their turn getting it sounds like it sounds like the penguins are socialist and i don't think you should tell like you know elon musk about them (laughs) they're also emperors (laughs) But uh, the the one aspect sort of about uh, that I wanted to touch on with Empoleon and get your all's opinion on it is that it says in the decks that the leader of the Empoleons is determined by who has the largest trident face. And there's no real indication in the game about how the trident, like what determines the size of the trident. And determine the size. There's... <laughs> There's obviously genetic aspects to it, like, you know, Empoleons with bigger trident faces breed and it gets bigger, bigger, yada, yada. But Don, you talked about earlier uh, things about nutrition and diet affecting appearance. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So let's so we know Empoleon is water steel. So you can imagine the trident is metallic. Um, so I would imagine that maybe eating certain um, fish or prey items that have a higher metallic content would translate to a higher, um, you know, larger trident on the face. Um, kind of like how we have with deer or like previously people thought, um, antlers were like primarily genetic with deer. Now we're seeing that it's primarily nutrition. Um, so I feel like it's would probably be a similar thing with Empoleon where it would have to do with, you know, if the male Empoleon's going out and catching, um, are are there any other water steel types? No. Well, let's pretend there are. So, or maybe there's not, but maybe, 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 um, Maybe Sharpedo, let's say, let's say Sharpedo's have a high iron content. Sharpedo's a powerful prey item. So um, the fact that he's out there slaying Sharpedo's would show that it's a, um, it's a very powerful Empoleon. One you would want to follow. Yes. Also, Emperor Penguins can dive to a depth of 1,700 feet, and I would like to make that known to everyone. You know what, though? Like, I loved Empoleon um, back in the day. He was my uh, uh, hazard hazard phaser. Oh yeah, it's stealth rock and all that good stuff. He got stealth rock and spikes and had roar. Yep. 
here's some hazards. Goodbye. Do you know what is annoying to me with um, Empoleon? They gave it Defiant, and they gave it, like, no physical... It should have had competitive. Like, yeah. Yeah. its physical oh, move sure. pool is bad. Its physical attack stat isn't that good. Its best steel move physically is, like, Steel Wing, which is trash. Like, it could have been a really... Like, with competitive, it would have had a really cool niche, and I hope they change it. Maybe they'll retcon it next gen. I have to I have to point out with Empoleon that it has flying moves, but the move the flying moves that it has almost like it's got like pluck, right? It has, it has pluck. It's, it's pluck, pluck, peck, and aerial ace, all ones that like exclusive do not mention the act of flying at all because penguins can't fly, which I appreciate. So shout out to them on that. The last bit I'll leave with is obviously the other part that I was mentioning about Empoleon is Napoleon. And I have to point out that Empoleon is exactly one inch taller than Napoleon. I will say Napoleon's height was very average for the time. Dude wasn't mm-hmm. short. No, that's a, a, he was 5'6", and Empoleon is 5'7", so this penguin is one inch taller than him. Does it count the little 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 trident crown? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if we're measuring tridents or not. Maybe Empoleon could, if they got you know good hunter one, maybe it could hit six feet. You don't know. But all right, so that's uh, that's that's Empoleon for me. Uh, who wants to hit us with one of the other starters? I know, Madison. I know you've got some. Uh, I do stuff for Infernape. Infernape has a lot of different uh, designs, uh, but honestly, the biggest one is obviously Sun Wukong, um, or as some of you know him, Sun Goku. <laughs> uh, so, because uh, apparently the Japanese name is is linked to Goku. I didn't know that, but Infernape clearly is, is influenced by Sun Wukong. And we've talked about Sun Wukong because I love Journey to the West. I've talked about it, but yeah, um, Sun Wukong being the monkey king in Journey to the West, uh, an epic Chinese, you know, story um, about essentially a monkey that tricks the gods and become more powerful, but also, you know, he may be based off of um, what's called the Venara, which are, are monkey-like humanoids um, in the Hindu epic uh, Ramayana. Uh, but it's, but I guess one of one of these uh, one of these um, Venara was ca- um, called uh, Hanuman uh, is actually like given immunity to fire, but it's but like apparently this character is also like to been influenced by Sun Wukong because here's the weird thing about Journey to the West like Journey to the West follows the story of bringing Buddhism you know part of that whole journey is bringing Buddhism to India. So, like, the idea that a Hindu character would be influenced by the Buddhist character, like, it, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, but I love Sun Wukong. I mean, everything about, about Infernape screams Sun Wukong to me that, you know, all we got to do is give him the staff and we got the Monkey King. Yeah. Like, I, I like it's so close to the Monkey King. I, I... Get him one of those Grookey sticks and bam. No, he needs, the, he needs the grow, growing one like Goku. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Torterra is the other one, and Torterra is a world turtle, um, which is based on, you know, uh, actually it's, it's a it's it's a large number of mythologies. Um, it's found in Hindu mythologies, it's found in Chinese mythologies, um, and I know it's found in a lot of indigenous mythologies from native from North America. Um, I've read stories uh, last year with my my students. We did a whole mythos unit um, about like you know certain Native American uh, groups believe that the lands were created on the back of turtles 
And so that's the idea of a world turtle, essentially that it's carrying, you know, the world on its back. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it shows up in the Discworld books by Terry Pratchett too. I think so. Or is it the the cosmic turtle in there? Uh, there's also like the, the 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 galaxy turtle in it or whatever, but that's yeah. like different. That's not yeah different. But it's clearly like the world turtle, like it carries yeah. the land um, on its back. It it's like bigger. And if you saw Detective Pikachu, it's mountains. <laughs> They're not that big, but. They're giant in that. I actually really like that, though. Um, but no, you like you talked about how like prevalent uh, th- that sort of mythos is of of the world turtle, and that's well, yeah, because like I mean, we see turtles and like they have these gigantic backs that you know, for us trying to explain the world around us, like that would make sense. You're like, oh yeah, you know, the land is just the back of a turtle. Poor Torterra gets murdered by ice types, though. <laughs> I like Torterra a lot, though. I think it's cool. Okay. Do you have do you have a last minute surprise mon for us? I do. I'm gonna do uh, Bronzor slash Bronzong. The mon that Don and I both hate. Oh, I sure do love clicking Trick Room and existing. That's so fun. So Bronzor, Bronzor obviously is a mirror. Bronzong is obviously a bell. It, we're trying to figure out how these two connect, and so historically. Bronze mirrors were used in Japan up to, I think, 18th, 19th centuries. Um, And the mirrors themselves were, the backings were made of bronze, and they had a tin layer on the front that was polished to be the the reflective surface for using it as a mirror. As this relates in mythology that ties these two together, there is uh, a legend about a town that was uh, seeking donations from the people of the town to build a type of bell called a dotaku, uh, which is a very special bell that's used for things like uh, praying for good harvests, a good harvesting season. And if you look at Bronzong's dex entries, it talks about it bringing rain and ensuring good harvests. It does learn rain dance too. Yes. So in order to make this giant bronze bell, the priests asked for donations of the bronze mirrors from the townspeople. And there was a woman who donated her bronze mirror, but then regretted it. Uh, and, and she didn't try to get it back, but she really wanted to get it back. And they took the mirrors off to be smelted down and turned into the bell. And they melted all of them down, but there was one mirror that would not melt. No matter how many times they put it in the furnace or how long What they happened had it, to that mirror? It was heat proof. Oh. Uh, but um, everyone knew everyone knew it was this woman's mirror because there was a special design on the back that everyone knew was hers. And it caused a whole thing in the town and, and there was a lot of shame for her. They, they said it did not melt. Oh, they gave her shame because of the mirror? Well, they said that it did not, um, because she didn't give the mirror like with a true heart, like she, she regretted it. That's why it wouldn't melt. Um, and so there was a lot of shame tied with, uh, with it and the woman ultimately uh, takes her own life and so the mirror is melted down after she dies and they make the bell and the woman apparently says that uh, she, before she dies she says anyone who breaks the bell my ghost will bestow upon you a large amount of wealth and so after the bell is made the townspeople all try to like ring the bell as hard as they can to break it and ultimately it becomes such a an, an annoyance for the priests because everyone's ringing the bell constantly 
they end up pushing it into a swamp and burying it. Uh, they buried it in does. a swamp? Why can't we bury Bronzor in a swamp? Because it levitates out. But that's, that's Bronzong in the deck's entry for its first one talks about it being dug up. And so one, that ties to the myth being that, but also the Dotaku Bells were also known to have been buried um, to be in sort of closer concert with the Earth's energy for tying in with like good harvests and all that I was mentioning earlier. So that's where you get uh, Bronzong being mentioned about being bearing. It's why it gets some ground type moves. I think it's a really cool tie in with the Pokemon and with that legend. But we've packed a lot into this episode because we all love Diamond and Pearl. But I think at this point, team, we should head to the wrap up. I agree. Okay, everyone. Well, as it is, as this is releasing on Friday, I hope you all are enjoying Diamond and Pearl, your copies, whichever you chose. If you got both of them, good for you. You get both legendaries. You're very special. I don't know which one I get to have yet because I think Lila gets to decide. <laughs> I just, I love Dialga, so I always do Diamond. Alki, a gang. You know, I just, I've learned to not argue with my daughter. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. Just, to, <laughs> just don't even try. She's, she's, she's too smart for me. <laughs> Well, on that note, listeners, thank you again for joining us for another episode. We loved you all coming out and listening to us and joining us for these discussions. If you want to help support the show, we obviously have our Patreon in the show notes that you're uh, welcome to contribute to. And we love all of our Patreons. Don, I believe this- Seriously, Patreon guys, you're the best. We wouldn't be able to keep doing this without you all. Yes. I believe Don is putting together a team for the new season for the Patreon soon. Yeah, I'm going to have it hopefully- um... I, I need to be Crown Tundra. Hey, uh, Patreon supporters. Um, we've been talking about interviews and stuff next year. If there's any topic that none of the three of us are like qualified to talk about that you'd really like yeah, to dive absolutely. into, send us a message on Patreon. Because like you guys are great. And honestly, like not to pander to people that give us money, but you keep it running. Mm-hmm. And to us, that's always been the goal is to keep it self-sustaining. So I love you guys. You guys are great. Like, thank you for making this dream that Lucas and I had a reality. Absolutely. And if you, and if you want to support the show, but don't want to contribute to the Patreons, please reach connect with us on social media, share the episode with your friends who also love science and Pokemon, leave a review in your podcasting app of choice. These are all great ways to kind of help us grow and sort of oh my bring God, more share people. Share us on Twitter, please. Yeah. We, we love talking with you all and exchanging on Twitter. Um, and we really love seeing all the, the, the reviews and topics that come through. And um, I see them in, in the iTunes podcasts app, but uh, we really appreciate the time that you all take to fill those out or to, to shoot us tweets and messages on social media. So thank you all so much for the support, the ongoing support. Uh, on that note, well, I guess we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Thank you all. Mm-hmm.